All right, gentlemen, we're going to get started. Yes, yeah. Can, um, can everybody, I'm a, is this too loud or is this okay? That's too loud? We got to turn the, vo- Bill, volume down. <laughs> uh, anyway, no, this is okay. Everybody can hear me okay? So, how's everybody doing tonight? Good? Good? Full of some chicken? Yeah, it's always good. So I'll give that recipe out. It's super easy. I love making that stuff. Um, so, uh, so last week uh, we went through chapter one, and uh, we talked about what the Bible is. <clears throat> so just as a little bit of review for those of you that weren't here, and also for those of us that were, uh, it's always good to do a review. Um, so we talked about how the Bible is a claim to authority. We talked about the difference between what the Jeep Bible was and what the actual Bible is. Uh, So the Bible is a claim to authority. Uh, We talked about what the structure of the Bible is, how we have the New Testament and we have the Old Testament. Uh, We also talked about how many books were in the Bible. How many books in the Old Testament? How many books in the New Testament? Uh, we also talked about the constant theme that was all throughout the Bible. The Old Testament talks about it until it actually happens, and the Old Testament talks about that person, which is, yeah, so the promised Messiah coming through the Old Testament. Uh, we talked about how the, the structure of the Bible was uh, chapters and verses were added uh, later on in history. Uh, we talked about the different types of books that there, were, that there are, so history, Law, wisdom, poetry, prophecy. Uh, we talked about the Gospels, the Epistles, and apocalyptic books, uh, such as Daniel and Revelation. We also talked about what John Calvin said about the Bible. Uh, nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. Uh, And then the chapter uh, ended with the Bible is God's gift to you, one collection, two testaments, 66 books written, collected, preserved, so that you might know him and his salvation in Jesus Christ. That was what we went over last week in chapter one. So this week we're going to talk about how the Bible was written, or yeah, how the Bible was written, okay? Why is it important that we understand how the Bible is written? Anybody? Yeah? Author is kind of important. God himself. Anybody else? Yeah? Yep. Anybody else? Inspiration? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say defense. Because what's one of the common things that you hear? Oh, well, the Bible's just written by a bunch of people. How could it be true? How could it be about God? Um, if people are so sinful and so flawed, how can the Bible not be flawed and sinful if it was written by sinful people? Uh, I'm sure you guys could go on and on through things that you've heard throughout the years. Um, so when we talk about the Bible, you know, the Bible is God-breathed. Okay, so what does that exactly mean? You know, Paul says uh, to Timothy in 2 Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, 
and for training in righteousness. Okay, so this is what the Apostle Paul said about Scripture itself. So if we look at, you know, the beautiful imagery that this shows of the Holy Scriptures are the spoken out by God so that every word comes from his breath. Why, why is that so important? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, because uh, if we, not to go down a rabbit hole, but a little bit, what, what does the world have a very big problem with? They have a very big problem with absolute truth. Right. So a very big thing, especially among my generation and younger, is my truth. You know, it's all about my truth. Well, so that's what the struggle in this world is everybody's trying to grasp at is there, there's no absolute truth. So like Mike said, because we have an absolute, I feel like it makes our life a little bit easier. I don't know about you, but you don't have to guess, you know, what is an absolute, what is completely moral. You know, it's all based upon God's breathed out word. Um. So while the Bible, while the Bi- while the Bible is from God, it is for humans. God breathed out His Word to communicate with us. This means that God chose written words in human language as His primary way of speaking with us. Okay, the Bible was written in two primary languages. All right, being Hebrew and Greek, and one secondary language, which was Aramaic. Okay. So, well, Hebrew was a language used by most of the people of Israel, okay? Greek was the main language of the time. You know, the majority of people in, around Israel and Jerusalem and places like that in the Middle East, now what we call the Middle East, most of the people were speaking Greek. That was the most popular language of the day. So, in God's infinite wisdom, he said, well, I want this to go out to the Gentiles, so why not put it in a language that the Gentiles speak? <clears throat> As God extended his covenant promises, all the nations and commanded his people to proclaim the good news to the ends of the earth, the language of his written word shifted to accommodate this transition. Uh, the Bible was carefully preserved, while uh, recent scholars while recent scholars have questioned the preservation of the original manuscripts of the Bible, the truth is that the Bible has more evidence for its integrity than any other ancient book. Okay, so if we want to go back, if you think about your you know, history courses in uh, you know, elementary school, the middle school, things like that, if you could open your book, we're going to look at page uh, 32. Um, I thought the authors did a really great job at illustrating in a visual form of just how reliable we can be on the Bible because God has truly preserved his word. Because if you look at, you know, things that you probably heard about in school, you know, Tatticus, um, you know, Plato, Caesar, you know, probably uh, Homer, the Iliad, you know, you could look at the dots that are here and look at when the earliest manuscripts were developed for those. But then you look at how many manuscripts are in the red, you know, for the New Testament. And when the earliest of those manuscripts were uh, found, you know, so the estimate is 
I think Jack said it last week. He's not here tonight, unfortunately. Uh, the Bible was finished, what, 80-ish A.D., 90 A.D., okay? And you can see the earliest manuscripts were only found 50 years later. You know, compare that to the other ancient books that, you know, our schools treat like that. They're absolute moral authorities and all that kind of thing. Um, you know, there's a lot of proof that God preserved his word. I just, I thought that was a really cool, you know, illustration, you know, because it even goes further onto the next page. You know, <clears throat> I just thought that was really cool. Um, so, if you look at uh, recent archaeological finds conf the confirm the faithfulness of the Bible that we have in our possession today. Uh, the, the preservation of the Old Testament what is significant of this is it serves just one of many evidences that over the course of many centuries, the Hebrew text was preserved. Because of the similarities in the manuscript, we could be confident the Old Testament we have today is an extremely reliable copy of the original uh, Hebrew scriptures. You know, so the book, they, um, they speak about um, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls and how much influence they had on you know, what we have in the Bible today and how much confirmation uh, we received on the validity of the Bible based upon the, the finding of those manuscripts. But, uh, <clears throat> and then the preservation of the New Testament, uh, while the, the manuscript evidence for the Old Testament is encouraging, the manuscript evidence of the New Testament is unsurpassed by, by any other ancient book. There are more than 5,700 Greek manuscripts containing either parts of, uh, parts or all of the New Testament text. Compared to this to Homer's Iliad, and there's only 1,757 manuscripts in existence, or Beowulf, which comes to us from only one manuscript, okay? And if you, I know, I remember from school, them talking about Iliad and Beowulf, you know, they were like the ancient, ancient books. Like, this is when humanity really started, you know, reading and writing and things like that. And I remember that from school, but you can see there's so much more proof of God's word, but yet we're taught in school the validity of those books, you know. So I just, I found that absolutely fascinating how God has just, not that he needs to prove himself, but that he did, you know, so that we have, you know, ammunition to come, out, come back to the world and say, you know, this is, we can prove this. You know. I just I find it really cool that he allowed us to have that kind of proof instead of just us saying, you know what, this is it. You know, you just have to have faith in it. He didn't need to, but he gave us this evidence. You know. um, <clears throat> so from, so if we look at, while thousands of years have passed since God breathed out the Old and the New Testament scriptures, they remain the living, perfect word of God today through the scriptures, having passed through countless scribes, many forms, you know, from paper, papyrus uh, to an iPhone or an Android, whatever phone you have. You know, you could be confident that the word you read today is very word that was breathed out by God and written to the prophets and the apostles, the, uh, you know, written by the prophets and apostles. Um, so I, I don't know about you, but I, I, if, you, if you reflect on how God wrote the Bible, 
you know, he used his people. I mean, how, how, what a privilege. You know, what, it is, what a privilege it is for, you know, the men of the Old Testament and the men of the New Testament that God, through them, wrote the Bible. You know, how cool is that? You know, you think about today. You know, how cool is it that we have the privilege to teach about God's word, to read God's word, to study God's word, and that God's word is never ending. We will always be learning something. You know, I use the example of uh, the same old Christmas story. Every year I learn something. And it's the same old Christmas story from over 2,000 years ago, and yet we learn something new every single year because God's just that vast, you know, and it's really, I, I just, I don't know, I just, I find it just very awesome and blessed that we were able to, you know, study his word that way. So, so. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree with your point of, you know, sometimes we can take for granted um, what we have in this country. And I, I brought it up in the introduction in week one. You know, one of the things that we do take for granted is that we could read and write. You know, you think about, you know, 500, or not 500, probably 1,000 years ago, you know, the starting of the church, many, and that's when they wrote Bibles only in Latin, everybody had to trust the priest and what they were saying because they were the only ones that could read the Bible. Now we have the fortunate um, ability in this country that we were taught to read and write. It's almost, it's mandatory. It's the law. Like, you have to go to school. Um, so to Bill's point, though, there's places on this earth that that's not the case. You know, you, you, I don't know if you've gone to a Christian concert lately and you talk about, um, you know, Compassion International or another charity of that where we're sponsoring children um, that just, you know, $30 a month, $35 a month, you know, they get to read and write and learn about Christ, which that still baffles my ass, that $30 is giving them schooling and food. You know, I, I can't buy a pint of ice cream for $30, you know, especially Ben and Jerry's. Um, but you know what I mean? So we, we do can take that for granted, um, and we just need to be careful not to, that this is a privilege that God has, you know, not only preserved his word, but blessed us enough that I have 10 of these in my house, you know, that we can flip through anytime I want, and I could read it, and I don't understand all of it, but, you know, I work at trying to understand it, so I just, it, that's really cool, but thank you, Bill, thanks for your point. Anybody have anything else that they wanted to share before I switch chapters? Oh yeah, I would I would totally agree with that. Um, I my preference I, I'm more of a physical like, you know, I actually like to hold the Bible. You know, I have a journal Bible, you know, so I could write in it and there's spaces and everything like that. But to Mike's point, yes, modern technology, it's great. You know, you I could pull up the Bible Gateway website and punch in a search. You know, I know this might be a controversial topic, but you know AI, this. You know, if you look at ChatGBT now, you always have to take it with a grain of salt because it is artificial intelligence, but you could type in a query in there and say, why did Jesus use this specific word in the Greek? 
compared to another version of the word, and it'll spit out the answer for you in about four seconds. You know, so the modern technology, you always got to be careful with it, but you can also really leverage it for, you know, study and things like that, especially if you're not a Greek scholar like Mark Simpson is, you know. <laughs> so you can actually understand what the original intent was because we got to always remember, like, this is a transla- translation. This, this can be flawed in translation. We believe that the original manuscripts are true, but there can be some errors in translation, so we have to have discernment. But you're right, Mike. You know, and one, one story that um, does kind of, you know, keep coming to my mind is, um, I forget what sermon series it was that Pastor Mark was talking through, that gentleman that was in prison and how he learned the Bible because the um, Chinese... Chinese, I think it was Chinese, or yeah, Chinese um, general was using the Bible as toilet paper, and he was the one that was cleaning out the latrines. So, you know, we do in this country take for granted sometimes our access to things, but in a lot of other parts of the world, like I know that's a very big problem in China right now, getting caught with the Bible. You know, so just we have to remember that and have reverence for you know God's word it the way that it should be respected. All righty. Um, so if we look into chapter 3, which is the next chapter we're going to for, you know, we're going to talk about how were the books of the Bible chosen, uh, which I don't know about you. I, I like history. Um, you know, so church history, I, I, I always say, like, when I have more free time, I will look more at uh, church history, maybe when I'm like an empty nester or something like that. But I find church history fascinating. And one of the parts of church history that's really fascinating is how was the canon put together? You know, and it wasn't just like one flip of the switch. Like if you look, as you're reading through the book, it took a lot of time. Um, And there was a lot of effort by a lot of people to put together this canon. But once again, you go back to like how cool is it that God gives us the privilege of using us to do his work? You know, he used those men back then to give us what is in this binding right now. That's a really cool thing, you know. Um, it's, a, it's a privilege, and we have to treat it that way, too. Um, so if we, there, there's, they start off the chapter, we're talking about, like, how do we know that the Bible is complete? Okay, and they use the example of an iPhone or a phone. You know, you think about the original iPhone, if you had one, and how many upgrades that we've gone through to now. You know, this is, I think they're on 15. This is a 14. You know, so we have 14, 15 generations of the iPhone. You know, and there's features on this phone that made that phone obsolete, you know, And one of the stories that came to mind uh, for me talking about things becoming obsolete is, does anybody remember the story about Kodak? So Kodak was one of the leaders in the photography business, like the leader. You know, it's to the point where, you know, you said you were going to get a Kodak, okay? It's kind of like Google. Like, how many times do we use the word Google as a verb? Like, I'm going to Google it. It's not, I'm going to type it into a search engine and search. It's like, I'm going to Google it. Kodak was the same thing. 
How many, does anybody use a Kodak product now? Yeah. Very few, right? Because Kodak said, we will never not use film in this country or this world. Well, in 2012, they figured it out real hard when they filed bankruptcy because they did it back. So things need to be upgraded, right? You know, you have to keep up with the times. You have to stay relevant, okay? Does the Bible need an upgrade? Does, do we need to keep up with the times? Is there a long-lost book or letter by Paul written that somebody missed that needs to be added to the Bible? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and that's that's becoming a lot more prevalent today. Um, now I'm probably in the middle age of this room in age spans, but I know I know just in my lifetime the changes that I've seen of people trying to add to God's word, one of the biggest things is the LGBTQ, whatever the rest of those, you know, acronyms are. You know, now they're saying God is trans, God is gay, God is a lesbian, or God is whatever it may be. This is people trying to get God to come up to what they perceive, you know, upgrade is. But, I know, at least for me, God is timeless. You know, who said there's nothing new under the sun? You know, that holds true throughout until the end of time, until Jesus returns. There's nothing new under the sun. Sin back in Israel time is the same sin that we're dealing with today. It has a little bit of a different face. Sexual immorality now has a computer screen or on your iPhone compared to what David did with Bathsheba, you know, it's a little bit different, but it's nothing new. You know, when Jesus said, you know, if you just look upon a woman lustfully. Now, it's not a new sin. We can make an argument that's a little bit easier, you know, because we can Google it, like I just said, um, compared to, like, actively searching out, like, a Playboy magazine that you're, you know, is tucked in a closet or something. But, um, you know, the <clears throat> still battling this cold, forgive me. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, that's the, the thing with, like, people like, oh, there hasn't been an update to the Bible in over 2,000 years. Does there need to be one? And the answer is no. Um, you know, if we look at, the Bible is a complete collection, okay? Not a single word is missing. Not a single word can be added. Everything, every book that should be in the Bible is already there. And we can be confident that there is, an unknown, that there is no unknown book that will be added. Okay? The Bible will never be released in an updated, revised version, okay? Um, you know, the canon is the canon. You know, the, the Bible is finished and, it, and it's final, okay? We could take that, you know, to the bank, quote-unquote, okay? 
You know, we could trust in the fact that there's going to be no upgrades, no nothing. What everything we need to know from God is in this book. And that's the way he made it. And that's the way it's going to remain until Christ comes through those clouds and comes back. So we can be confident in that. Now, the whole reason that we're studying this is because out there, they don't know that. We, we trust this book. Out there, they don't. And we need to be able to, like Billy said with apologetics, you know, we need to be able to defend it and understand how it was put together, why it was put together, and why it is complete. And that we don't have to worry about anything else being added to it. You know, the books of the Bible are not a special class of man-made books, handicapped or handpicked by the church. Instead, the books of the Bible are God's written word, which were recognized by the church, um, church as such. That is why not quite a, that's why it's not quite accurate to say that the book of the, the books of the Bible were chosen or selected by the church council. It's more accurately, we should say, that the, the books of the Bible were recognized. Okay? The, the book, um, this book gives a very big distinction between they were not chosen. Like, it, it's the, there wasn't this, like this tumbler, and they're just picking them out and saying, oh, this is the word of God. They were recognized with some criteria, which we're going to talk about right now. Um. So over time, God's people recognized the books that were written by God and reject, rejected the ones that weren't. The collection of writings that we have that have been recognized, like I, I used the term already, is called the canon. F.F. Okay. Bruce defines the term in this way. The canon of Scripture is the listing of writings delivered to us as the divinely inspired record of God's self-revelation to man that self-revelation of which Jesus Christ, our Lord, is the center. So although many factors affected why certain books made it into the canon, the primary question was, was whether God had written an inspired book. Okay? If it was from God, then it couldn't, it, then it, if it wasn't from God, then it couldn't be part of God's word. Okay? Uh, the canon of the Old Testament, by the, time, the, by the time Jesus, by the time of Jesus, there was a widespread agreement about the canon of the Old Testament. So, you know, there was, the way that God had structured Israel is it almost like automatically preserved his word because it was the constant teaching. You know, the, rit the ritualistic nature of like sacrifices and atoning and for the, you know, the, the festivals and all these different rules that the law that God created, you know, it, it almost forced them to constantly keep, you know, the, test, uh, the Old Testament together. Uh, so it was pretty much really recognized um, by the time Jesus was coming around. Um, the canon began, um, God himself wrote the, the Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone for Moses and the people of Israel. You know, you can look in Exodus, you know, the tablets were the work of God. The writing was the, written, was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. 
you know, and then you can look in Deuteronomy 10.5, then I turned and came from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark that I had made, and there, and there they are, as the Lord commanded me. <clears throat> Sorry, I gotta... uh, Moses, uh, Moses' successor, which we're actually going through his book now, uh, Joshua, continued the practice of writing down words in the book of the law of God. So you look at uh, Joshua 24, 26, and Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth. That was by the sanctuary of the, of the Lord. You know, after Joshua, a succession of other men of God, most of them were <clears throat> who were prophets, recorded the words of God telling of great acts and his covenant promises uh, to his people. The people of God always believed that these holy writings were God's word, just as God had told the prophet Jeremiah, and this comes from Jeremiah 30, 32, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in, the, write in a book all the words that I've spoken to you. So, since 475 B.C., nearly 2,500 years ago, the book within the Old Testament canon have remained the same. You know, pretty, it's a long time. Uh, the Old Testament scriptures were written with the understanding that they were God's holy word, and they have always been understood in this way. You know, that's how you know, Israel taught themselves uh, from God's word. Then if we go into the canon of the New Testament, uh, we look at uh, you know, what John wrote in his gospel in chapter 16, verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the, the writings of the disciples show that they understood their work to be a fulfillment of Jesus' promises. They were speaking God's words with God's authority. You know, so if we look at 1 Corinthians 14.37, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or a spiritual, he should acknowledge that, that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. And then also then in 2 Peter 3, verses 15 through 16, and count the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he says in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. So, Jesus promised, Jesus promised to guide the apostles' teaching provided the foundational litmus test for the New Testament can canon. Works written by or authorized by an apostle were accepted. Okay? The inclusion of, the, of Hebrews in the canon demonstrates the second criteria for inclusion. There needed to be a general consensus or recognition by the church that the book was of God's word. It was not if it was not in widespread use across the churches, it could not be recognized as Scripture. Besides being authored or authorized by an apostle, receiving general recognition from the church. 
The book also could not disagree with other scriptures. So comparing one scripture to another scripture, if they are in conflict, then, they're, then they had to review it further before they would accept it. Because God's, God never lies or contradicts himself. Uh, and then God's word cannot, con- yeah, God's word cannot, cannot, yeah, does not contradict itself. So all the books in both the Old and New Testament are time-tested, doctrinally sound, and divinely inspired. We that all the books, it, we that all the book of the books in the Bible belong. You know, so in Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So then we move on and uh, look into, can any books be added to the Bible? Okay, so they were talking about, is the Bible complete? The author divides God's spoken revelation into two eras. So the pa- in the past... And in these last days, which is the era spanning from Jesus' ascension to Jesus' second coming. Once God spoke through his prophets, but now in the last days, he speaks through his son. Until that day when God, when we see God face to face, there is no more scripture to be added. And that, but then the question comes up, well, what about those other books? You know, if you flip open... You know, a Roman Catholic Bible, you may notice uh, several extra books that aren't included in the Protestant canon. You know, I, I don't know if there's any former Catholics in here, but we could talk about the Apocrypha. Is that, that, did I say that correctly, Bob? Yeah. So uh, they were written during uh, the period between uh, Malachi and the coming of Christ, which is that 400 years of silence. Uh, that the Bible talks about before the coming of Christ. Uh, Approximately 475 B.C. to A.D. 30. They include books like Tobit, Judith, Sirach, and 1st and 2nd Maccabees. Yeah. So, yeah, the book didn't go into detail, but, Bob, thank you very much for sharing that. Uh, uh, But those books are... Um, they weren't always originally, like you said, part of the Catholic Bible, but then were added at a later date. And I believe they still are in the Catholic Bible to this day. Um, so Jesus and his disciples, um, you know, they quoted the Old Testament scriptures as divinely authoritative also three, uh, almost 300 times, but they never quote the Apocrypha as divinely authoritative. So, I mean, that's a really good litmus test for the authenticity of those books is they're being leveraged by man. They weren't being leveraged by God in the flesh, you know, as teaching, you know, because you, you can't go through any of the Gospels without having Jesus, you know, refute something that a, you know, Pharisee was saying or somebody else was saying and using, you know, the law as, you know, the basis for that. and gave it more validity, you know, to the, the canon of Scripture that we have. You know. um, <clears throat> so, 
while uh, Jerome uh, added the Apocrypha into the Latin Vulgate, he made it clear that there were uh, books of the church and not to be treated as equal to scriptures. The Roman Catholic Church, however, increasingly relied on the Apocrypha until the Council of Trent in 1546, when they officially declared the Apocrypha to be part of the canon, which is uh, what you alluded to is when the, pipe, when the Pope said to add those to the Bible. Um, the Reformers, in contrast, returned to their traditional view of the Apocrypha as helpful for the church, but not as part of the canon. All right, so that was how the books were collected and into the, the canon. Did anybody have any questions or anything they wanted to add about that? Yes. Yeah. No, no, no. No, you're, you're completely accurate. Um, you know, uh, Mormons, um, you know, and the Jehovah Witnesses, they know their scriptures very well. I mean, that's part of their religion, just like, you know, Jews, non-Jesus-believing non Jews. You know, they know their Old Testament really well, better than probably most of us. Uh, but it falls apart in very, very key aspects of Jesus' teaching. You know, so we just, you know, I always have to keep that in mind. And it just, I, I go back to the point I was saying earlier was how, how much of a privilege it is and the blessing that God has given us. So much proof that his word is true. He preserved his word. He kept it together. He actually gave us the blessing of using men to actually put it together, but he ultimately put it together, um, which is really, really awesome. And there's no other religion that could, has any leg to stand on with the amount of proof of their religious you know, writings, how accurate and true they are, which, um, like I said, that's just a complete blessing from God that he gave us. Phil, did you have something? No, it, yeah, you're completely right. I mean, anything when it comes to evangelism, you don't want to beat them over the head with the book, you know. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes it takes that, but you don't initially go into the conversation that way. You know, you don't want to invite a Jehovah's Witness into your um, home and then say, hey, let me tell you all the reasons why you're wrong. You know, that's not the, I would say, proper way, you know, to show them love and because they're, they're lost. You know, just like all of us were lost at one point. I don't care if you were saved at three years old. You were lost at some point. You know, and we have to remember that, that they're unfortunately under some seriously false teaching, and they have hope in false teaching. So they don't have the true hope. Yep. 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 Yeah, because Jesus said that we're in charge of planting the seeds, not the watering. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Yep, absolutely. Jake, did you have something? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, to Jake's point, I mean, it, it's it, it's just really it, it's fascinating to me on how God put it together with different people different writing styles, you know, you have the writing styles of David, 
you know, which is super artistic and very beautiful sounding and things like the Song of Solomons, you know, and how beautiful that book is talking about marriage, you know. And then you have Matthew, you know, matter of fact, Matthew, you know, just kind of laying it out there, you know. And then you have, you know, Paul, who, you know, he wasn't even one of the disciples. And then he wrote a lot of the New Testament. Like, it's just, it's so cool on how God, you know, just put this all together. And that it's still, to this day, 2,500 years or over 2,000 years later, it's still completely relevant. It doesn't need any upgrades. And it proves itself constantly. You know, the things that were said in the Old Testament came true. You know, both inside this book and outside of the book itself, proven through history. You know, <clears throat> mm-hmm. no. That's why we need to have grace when we're talking to the Lord. We all were. Like I said before, whether we were saved at three or you were saved two weeks ago, we were all lost at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we could have compassion, we could have mercy, but we can't have tolerance. You hit the nail on the head, Mike. Because Jesus' truth is Jesus' truth. It doesn't matter. And that's the only absolute truth that we have in this world. And I thank God for that, that I don't need to guess on what a moral authority is. He is the moral authority. Hmm? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point, too. You know, we plant the seeds we may not see, you know. And honestly, if we're arrogant enough, you know, and I I find I've done this, too. Uh, you guys probably have done this too. You want to see the fruits of your labor, you know, but we don't necessarily deserve that, you know. We didn't deserve Christ dying on a cross for us. We don't necessarily deserve to see the fruits of his labor. So we are charged with planting the seed, not charged with watering. Now, other times, in God's gracious nature, sometimes we do get to see that. And we see that person that we planted that seed in that tub declaring the name of Jesus Christ. Alrighty. Um, so I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, we'll move into a time of discussion. So there's discussion questions in your uh, book for chapter 2 and chapter 3. And then next week we're actually going to do another double chapter. So we'll be doing chapters 4 and 5 next week. So if you guys wouldn't mind reading those uh, before uh, next week's um, session. And then just another reminder, um, 32 of your other brothers have signed up for the men's conference. So our numbers are starting to get really get up there. Uh, we're really excited for it. Uh, so if you haven't had a chance to yet, um, please uh, sign up. Uh, we're going to be, it's, you know, it's really starting to come together. Um, Jeff and there are a lot of people doing a lot of work and it's going to be a really awesome time. So I recommend uh, signing up. Thank you guys.